0: Good morning, I have the privilege of filling in for Pastor Bob today. We are continuing in the book of Ecclesiastes, why everything matters. Today we talk about finances, cool topic, yes. John D. Rockefeller, a multimillionaire of earlier days, was asked how much money is enough. He's reported to have replied just a little bit more. And we Americans are, are very wealthy. After I've traveled through Egypt and seen Cardboard City, where people live in cardboard and plastic, and other parts of the world, third third world countries. And and I see what they live in and then come back here and I realize how rich we all are. Just our basic standard of living is amazing but we as Americans do have a little bit of a difficulty with our attitude about finances and wealth and we have struggles at both ends we have struggles getting there and then for those of us who have arrived there you know there's a struggle with how do I manage resources and finances and stuff like that and sometimes there's struggle and hardship and problems at both ends It's interesting that Billy Graham noted that one-fifth of Jesus' words deal with finances. And when you go to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 10 through 20, we're going to see a whole lot of information and guidance for us with our personal finances and our attitude toward it. And so let's take a look at what the scripture has to say on this specific topic if it will turn there. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Hey, all I can tell you is that it did this last night too. It froze up on me. (laughs) Well, I will let Pastor Bill come up here and work on that while I give you a message. (laughs) And hopefully, hopefully, we will coordinate. He'll find the text so that I can present that to you. And I'll start talking to you about the message. As a youngster, as a teenager, I was searching, about my 15, 16-year-old age range, I was searching myself for answers on finances. I actually took a seminar, would you believe it? 15-year-old going to a seminar with a bunch of adults. And I learned quite a bit about finances there that helped me quite a bit. And I was asking myself the question, you wanna borrow that, Bill? Sure. Okay, we're hey, down. yeah, no, we're, we're no, nope, you can go back. You were at the perfect place, Bill. You made my day. Give him a hand. Uh, After last night's experience, I was feeling a little insecure. So I told Pastor Bill, would you please stay in the auditorium just in case this happens? And so I'm going to become very dependent. You can tell on Pastor Bill here. And so I was searching as a teenager for knowledge about, okay, how can I get prepared to be a young adult and go out there on my own and make a living? There's a big difference between going out there and picking beans or mowing lawns making a little cash and actually growing up and being able to have your own apartment and buy your own food and take care of your own expenses. And I really didn't have anyone in my life that was providing those answers, so I went to a seminar in search of that kind of knowledge. I even read books like Think and Grow Rich, et cetera, et cetera and trying to get all this American dream knowledge into my head so that I could figure out how to be a good man, how to be a good provider someday. And part of that was that it filled my mind with this dream of pursuing wealth. That's the American dream, isn't it? A big two-story house, a two-car garage filled with two nice cars, two vehicles, maybe a four-wheel driver, actually, and a car, something like that, you know. And, and there you have it. So I got caught up in this American dream. What is your dream? What is your management of finances? They both go together, don't they? And so we're going to look at three focuses today, two of which we're not going to recommend, and the last we are. And so the first focus is that wanting more money won't satisfy you. Here's what the scripture says about it in Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. And the key word there is loving money. And so the Bible has a lot to say about loving money. When you love something, and we're not talking the flippant love like, I love ice cream. (laughs) We're talking the serious love like, I love my wife. And this is the kind of serious love where someone's saying, and Solomon was a quite wealthy man, he was considered the wealthiest in his time. And here he is informing us that whoever loves money never has enough. He saw it. He hung with people that had wealth. He knew what it was like. And he knows that when you love something, you are committed to it. In fact, if you were to be in love with money, your life would probably look like this. You would be thinking about money most of the time. You probably wouldn't be satisfied with the amount of money you had today because you want more for tomorrow. Hard to be satisfied, isn't it? And in your relationships, there's a competition going on there. If you love money, uh, making more money would probably trump spending time with some of your relationships. And so loving money is a very serious business that we're not recommending because wanting more, according to the scripture, will not satisfy you. I watched a a game show. I I like some game shows. My my mom and I will sit down and watch a game show. And I was watching this game show, and the host was calling down the next person and uh, said, do you love money? And the person's reply is, I love money more than anything. And I thought, wow, that's heavy. And so whoever loves money never has enough, according to the scriptures. And here's the problem again. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, Believe me, I want to give you a message. Uh, The will is there, the desire is there, but technology gets in the way. Okay, so I'm gonna try this. I can't even escape it. Oh my goodness. Okay, now I just want a Bible. Who has an NIV Bible? I'm just gonna do this the old fashioned way. Okay, there's a NIV, you can spare it? Oh yeah. Good. Oh my, that's small print. <laughs> I'm sorry, that won't work. <laughs> Oh, there's 150s. Okay. This is going to be a fun day, folks. (laughs) I just can't believe that. Okay Okay if I keep it just in case. (laughs) Okay. I don't know what's going to happen today. I guess we'll have fun. We'll try to do this, okay? So Solomon warns us about this love of money thing. That's really an attitude that goes on on the inside. It shows up on the outside. But here's what the book of Hebrews says. Keep your lives free from the love of money. It's not a goal you want to pursue. It's not the attitude you want to harbor in your heart because it will take you places. It will invest you places that will not ultimately satisfy you. Talk to people who have made millions and they're still looking for meaning, purpose, satisfaction, and joy in life. Oh, they can pay the bills. They can buy the big things. They can have big toys and multiple big toys. But that doesn't mean... That in here and in here, you have the dream. Instead, be content with what you have. Is it possible for you to do that? That today you could say, I'm going to live in a state of contentment. I will be satisfied with what I have today and trust God for tomorrow. Because God said, and notice he says it twice. I think we need to hear it. Never will I leave you. And never will I forsake you. He won't give up on you. Never, ever. And that's the basis of contentment. It's not in your performance. I know some of you are very good at making money. You're very talented and God gave you that gift. That's great. We're not saying it's wrong to make money or make lots of it. But we're talking about the attitude toward it. And what you do with it, you need to live, live, live free from the love of money so that you can be content. Because when you're not, you get moody. <laughs> Believe me, you get moody. And everybody else around you gets your mood. And we don't need it anymore. We need you to be free from the love of money and to not wear yourself out to get rich. Allow yourself to actually rest and relax and enjoy it sometimes. Actually go home at night and and spend time with your spouse and love them and spend time with the kids and ask them, well, how was your day? Because it's not all about business. It is all about relationship. Have the wisdom to show a little restraint and say, I'm not going to go to work for 12 hours today. I'm only going to put in 10 or 11. Yeah, I know some of you. (laughs) Some of you put in 14 hours a day. You're workaholics. See if this isn't true. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. It doesn't matter what denomination bills you got. They spend easy, and they're gone. So don't wear yourself out. In fact, if you want to get rich, you're on the wrong goal track. The track shouldn't be, I want to get rich. Those who want to get rich, there's a goal. Fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And so you just might make your financial goals. But if you lose your relationships in the process, have you really gained anything? Have you gained the most important thing? And so wanting more won't satisfy. In fact, whoever loves wealth, now it shifts to the person who's actually achieved it. It's one thing to love money. It's another thing to actually have it. And they love wealth, but they're never satisfied with their income. It's never enough, and he says this too is meaningless. And so here's one of the themes of the book itself: it's all hevel, a Hebrew word meaning vapor, smoke, or breath. Oh yeah, it's a real it's a real thing. You see it out there, but when you try to grasp it, when you try to quantify it, it just slips through your fingers. Because Solomon sees wealth and he's experienced wealth and he realizes that if you place your hope in wealth, it'll be like trying to grab a mist or a vapor or a smoke or even your own breath. There's a disconnect there. It doesn't take you where you hoped it would. And in verse 11, now we're talking consumerism. The idea that as wealth increases, People create more products to please and to allow you to spend your money on their product. In other words, an exchange of either goods and services for the wealth you've acquired. But it's never about being content. You realize that, don't you? Uh, Had somebody come and visit from a third world country who's wealthy in their country. They're not wealthy comparatively here. But when they came to the United States... I took them to several big shopping centers. And they were just floored, absolutely floored. They stood in the cereal aisle. And they looked down toward one end and they looked toward the other. After we had been to a couple really big stores, we were sitting in the car and they said, Wow, I have never seen so many options of cereal. How do you choose? How do you choose? They weren't excited about it, they were overwhelmed by it. We have so much. We are so blessed. If you feel blessed as an American, say, Thank you, God. Yeah, we are so blessed. And what benefit are they, these goods, to the owners, except to feast their eyes on them? And you know, he's not saying this is a great thing. He's saying what you end up doing is that you spend your time looking at all these things. And they may be good products, but they're things. They're still things. And there's so many things. And so how many pairs of shoes do you... You don't have to answer it. Please don't answer it. How many pairs of shoes do you need after you have your hundredth pair? Maybe 200? 500? Now you have to build an addition just to be able to display all of them. And guys, how many, how many automobiles do you How many four? Okay. Well, Shugel Willie. How many four-wheel drive big rigs do you need? Okay. You have three of them out there but how many do you need and so there's this appeal where in a consumeristic society everybody's producing shiny bright beautiful fun faster bigger more exciting things and you just upgrade 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 where does it end and so he's making us think about our eyes and how we get attracted to the upgrades and we get excited, and sometimes our heart and our mind gets consumed with, "What's next? What will make me feel good? What? I don't feel very excited today. I need to go shopping. I need to spend some money. Where's the plastic?" It's a good question. versus, what do we need and what do we want? When one by it. The sleep of a laborer is sweet. I, I love his contrast now between a wealthy individual and just a hardcore worker. He says the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. So apparently he's implying that sometimes the laborer has lots of work, and he's making a good hourly wage or a good in that culture usually a daily wage something like that but there was money coming in some days there was abundance and he got to have sirloin steak for dinner other days it was top ramen yeah but you know what the guy worked hard he was making a living and you know what he slept well how much is good sleep worth to you A good night's rest? Oh, I I looked it up. 90% of Americans wake up in a period of a month at least once thinking about something that's on their mind. 90%, 9 out of 10 Americans in a 30 day period wake up thinking about something. You may be that one person that doesn't. You have sweet sleep. But Two out of three Americans wake up with financial concerns on their mind on an annual basis. This is in the top issue for people dealing with stress, worry, fear, and the result for many sleeplessness. The laborer has something going, they work hard. Their head hits the pillow, they fall asleep. But as for the rich who have it all and they could buy, oh, they could buy a really comfortable bed. They could have a custom bed built for them. Their abundance permits them no sleep. And here's Solomon. He has all the money in the world to do it, but he's not able to find a way or he knows people in the same condition. And he's saying, you know, you can have a bunch of money, but not be at peace and not sleep well. And he probably sees people who are poor who are happy and sleep great. Makes you wonder, what's this all about? But know this, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I'd be willing to pray with you about your sleeplessness. Yeah. Yeah, some of you have... Uh, three o'clock in the morning, wake-ups on a regular basis. You don't want to. But you get up and you go to the computer or you go and read a book or you go and do something and you just wish you could get back to sleep. I'd love to pray for you. This verse tell me, tells me that God has sleep for you. Maybe you have to figure out why. But he grants sleep to those he loves. And I would be willing to pray with you for that issue. So he has a lot to say about this topic of finances and its impact. Having more won't satisfy you. So getting more, getting more money, but then having more things. Now we're talking about the material goods of life. And there's so much in America that you could have and that you could buy, you could acquire. He says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. And here's that second theme, you know, we looked at Hevel, the search for meaning and purpose in life, and now we're we're looking here at the theme of under the sun. I think what the author is trying to say to us is that you can live under the sun and pretend there's no God and live as though God has no information, guidance system, or plan for your life, and here's what you'll get if you live that way. And Solomon's looking over his kingdom and his people and what they experience and how they live. And he's coming up with all this stuff and informing us about realities of life. He says, I've seen this grievous, something that you would grieve about because there's a loss, not a gain. The exact opposite. How counterintuitive. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. And people who have not just one lawnmower, but they have three. Just in case one breaks down, they have a second one. And just in case the second one breaks down, they have parts to fill in for the others. How many shoes does it take? How many automobiles? How many houses? How many summer or winter homes does it take? You have to answer that question. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Because money is a tool, it can never be your savior. It can pay your bills. But have you noticed? It doesn't necessarily give you peace of mind or joy in your heart. It may give you a temporary thrill to go shopping, but then it comes right back at you the next day or the next week. Oh, I don't feel good anymore. I need to go shopping. We use it as though it's saving us from something when in reality, it doesn't have the capacity to do that. Money is inanimate. It's not a relationship you can have. It's only a tool you can use. Don't give it the authority over your life that will keep you awake at night. It's a tool. And so it can buy your medication, but it can't buy you health. It can't give you eternal life. There's lots of things money cannot buy for you. But people who hoard do it for a reason, looking for happiness, joy, hoping that more things will give them that good feeling. Watch out. Scripture says, be on your guard, Jesus said, against all kinds of greed, and hoarding is just one form of it. Life does not consist in the abundance of, of possessions that you own. And so verse 14 tells us another grievous thing to him. He says wealth gets lost through some misfortune, some kind of an investment. It doesn't necessarily imply that it was a bad investment as though it was just stupid to go in there in the first place. But You don't control a lot of strings in life. You don't control the financial world. You can invest, but you don't know what's going to happen necessarily. And so here he gives this example of lost wealth through some misfortune so that when the individual has children, there's nothing left for the child to inherit. You've heard the old saying, don't put all your marbles in one basket. Yeah. I think that's what happened here. This individual saw an opportunity maybe to really make a good profit. And so they put a bunch of assets into it. And when it went sour on them, now they have trouble buying food to put on the table for the kids. Much less providing an inheritance when they pass away. It's interesting that an inheritance is spoken of in the Bible and other places. A good person leaves an inheritance for their grandchildren, not just their children, but for their children's children. And so money is not all about business. Money is a tool to bless relationships. Life is about relationships and people primarily. And Solomon's trying to give us the hint. Don't give it authority in your life because it doesn't have the power to give you what you think it will. It can pay the bills. But after that, there's a whole lot of life to be lived. Everyone comes, he says, naked from their mother's womb. He's going to give us the stripped down version of you. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. I know there's been wealthy people buried in their fancy cars, but they're not driving. (laughs) Yeah, they're not driving. Yeah. Hey, you live all your life making money, trying to build a nest egg, trying to have this diverse portfolio, as we've been taught. But when you get there, where have you arrived? Where are your relationships? What is the quality of your life, and what's the quality of your relationships with the people that are in your life that are so valuable to you? Realize where the greater value is. You can't take it with you. This, too, is grievous, As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? Since they toil for the wind. And so once it's all over, you leave everything here. Someone else gets it. And what's next? Great question. We'll talk about that a little later. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have two things, interesting, it only identifies two things. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Will we? Are you? And so, all their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Now, how could this be related to wealth and wealth management and having all those toys? Well, he's making us think. Sometimes you go to work and you say to yourself, wow, why am I here? What is this about? What does this mean? What am I doing with my life? Some people get to that point And they realize, what, I've been, what have I been living for all these years? And here's what Solomon says, even though he was an extremely wealthy man, All their days they eat in darkness. Don't tell me that a rich person doesn't have lighting in their home. This is talking metaphorical darkness, blindness. They just can't see the greater values in life. They've been living for the money and the things, but they're in the dark when it comes to what really matters. And they have great frustration Because, you know, when you start to have that money and those resources and people start to come at your beck and call, you know what you realize? You realize you don't control everything. And so there's frustration there. Because you're not always getting your way. You never will. Money doesn't change that. Oh, a little bit maybe, but you're still going to run into the frustrations of life. And then there's afflictions that you encounter when you have wealth. Because now things are coming at you. Sometimes it's just those phone calls and those ads and those salespeople. They just want to help you redistribute your wealth. And you know, you just get afflicted with those phone calls. Please take me off your phone list. I just want peace and quiet. And you know, I'm a connections kind of guy, so I'm out there in the community. It's just interesting over the last 20 years, how many more gates have come up in Camas and Washugal. Gates and fences and alarms and guard dogs and insecurity and fear and frustration, afflictions. And sometimes it afflicts your sleep. And sometimes all this ambition affects, affects your health. You're afflicted. And then sometimes there's just this fourth thing. There's just anger. Maybe money didn't give you what you wanted and you're just angry. You're angry at life. You're angry maybe because someone took advantage of you in the, big, in the process of doing business. There's all kinds of things that can make you angry. But you see, money isn't everything. But you see, the second focus was about gaining stuff. And the third focus is about the thing that you want and you need because it will really take you to places where you can invest your whole being in it. More of God and being satisfied with less wealth and stuff. Have you ever thought... That maybe living with less could be the pathway of greater contentment? That you could actually pay your bills, maybe have a little extra. Yeah, have a little extra. And be content with that. And take all the extra time that you would have put into thought and worry and business and decisions and put that into your relationships and put that maybe into your health, maybe into your spiritual growth and life. You see, money can only invest, be invested in so many things. Why don't you invest in the whole you? And so here's where Solomon takes us. It only happens a few times in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is what I've observed he said to be good. So he's done his analysis. He's watched. He's studied. He's thought this through. And here's his observation about what the good thing is, which means implicitly that there's some bad choices. But here's the good one. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun, because it is toilsome at times, During the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Ecclesiastes talks about God in a few select locations, and here's one of them. And so if you want to experience more fulfillment and satisfaction in life, invest in your soul. Get right with God. Spend some time with God. Let him into the center of your life. No, not just the center. Let him be the circumference and the center of your life. Financially centered in God. Spiritually centered in God. Relationally centered in God. Grounded in God. More of God, less stuff. But he still says that the appropriate thing is to eat and to drink two of the most basic things in life. And he's saying, and find satisfaction in your labor. To be satisfied and enjoy the basics of life. Have you become so complex in your thinking that you've been blinded to the things you can really enjoy? That that money can be used to drink and eat and you can be satisfied even in your work. So he's trying to help us. Here's a person who has become wealthy because they worked hard. And the scripture commands those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in the wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. What's hope? Hope is anticipating the good things that are to come. But some of us are so wrapped up in the toil that we couldn't hope if we wanted to because we're focused on the things that frustrate us. We're angry. We've got a a roadblock to the joy, to the hope. Hope is looking forward to the good things that God has for us, which he will richly provide with everything for our enjoyment. And so it doesn't have to be a burden. It can be a joy to you. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions, notice that God gives wealth and possessions. God can make things happen if he wants to for you. I'm just going to say to this, some of you will be filthy rich. Some of you will be moderately rich. Some of you will just be wealthy. In fact, do you realize that to have a million dollars now no longer meets the criteria of wealthy? You're going, I would love a million dollars. Yeah. No, research recently found that uh, most Americans believe that a million dollars only makes you comfortable. Make me real comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. But the survey showed that uh, most Americans believe that you now have to have 2.4 million dollars to be considered rich in America. And yet the average American has $4,222 in their savings account. You're going, I don't even have that much. Oh, some of you have many times that much. But everybody's at a different place. Just don't put your heart set on wealth. Because God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them. Whatever you have, just enjoy them. And to accept your lot... Some translations say reward because it is that if you can enjoy life just as it is, isn't that worth it? Isn't that more valuable than money to just simply enjoy life and to sleep well and to eat your food and to enjoy and to be happy in your toil? This is the gift from God. A God-centered life will balance you out Financially, relationally, socially, even physically. Are you willing to let God into your life and to really let him be the center? Do you realize finances is usually the last place that religious people turn themselves over to God? Yeah. Usually they hold back on the finances for a while until they figure out whether they can really trust God with it. Yeah. God is a blessing God. So that when you start operating with God at the core of your decision-making and your affections and desires and goals and dreams, this will become true for you. You will seldom reflect on the days of your life. Now, you know what it's like to reflect on the days of your life when you're at your job and you're having a terrible, no good, very bad day and you don't want to be there. And you're looking at the clock and you're going, I just want to get this over with. Yeah. There's days like that. But here's what God says. You won't have to reflect like that because God keeps you occupied with gladness of heart. Consider this. If you're willing to let him in, if you're willing to trust him by faith, he's willing to guide you down life's path you'll still have you driving the wheel but he's going to be sitting right there next to you and he's going to be guiding you and you're going to experience a new sense of purpose and meaning and direction in life and it's going to show up and even in your work what was toil is now going to become meaningful purposeful a significant opportunity for you to make a difference in the workplace and you can bring creativity, you can bring innovation, you can bring solutions, you can bring positive attitude, you can bring teamwork, you can bring cooperation. The list goes on. It's just a change of attitude that takes place in here, that affects here and shows up all out there. Yeah, I I went to a hardware store. It It was not a comfortable thing. I am not a technology guy as you've discovered I am not uh, I'm not not a mechanical guy and so it was a risk for me to go to the hardware store I got the part but as usual it was in several pieces (laughs) wasn't supposed to be and so I went to the hardware store and I sheepishly asked for assistance and this elderly gentleman came up to me and he took the, the parts out of my hand and he said yeah okay Um, this needs to be rebuilt I said okay tell me about it so we went back to his desk and this guy was amazing he knew exactly what to do he started taking things apart where I didn't know it came apart and he started taking all apart he started explaining to me and now I'm starting to get I'm starting to get this guy likes this he was positive positive. So I started opening up and I started asking him questions. I said, well, what does that do? Or how's that work? Or is that supposed to look like that? You know, it it covered half of it. Is the other half? Yeah, it's supposed to be 360 around there. Yeah, okay, so I'm learning from this guy. I'm detecting this guy loves his work and he's teaching me and he's answering my questions. And by the time I got through, this man had made me a customer of that hardware store. And I'm willing to drive to get there, to have that kind of service, that kind of attitude, that kind of respect, and that kind of help. And I could tell that guy was thrilled to do it. And he was glad to do it. He was occupied with gladness of heart in the midst of his workday. And don't you realize if you would just let God in at the center and the circumference of your life including your finances that he loves you and he will take care of you because really that's what this is all about who are you going to trust are you going to build your kingdom or are you going to let him build his kingdom in yours Heavenly Father thank you for uh, all of the wisdom of your word how many topics you address how how candid how incisive you are to address the human condition and our struggles with finances and our worries and our sleeplessness and our emotional problems and everything that gets all jumbled up because we're all stressed out God I would just pray that today someone here would want to give up being in total control and be willing to trust you and be willing to invite you into their life and take Jesus as their leader and the one who forgives them of all their independent spirit. And if there's anyone who wants to do that, just raise your hand up and let me know. I just want to know privately if you want to have that relationship with Jesus today. Just put your hand up. Okay. Yes. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Lord Jesus, thank you for these souls who have decided to trust you for everything, not just the finances, but their very soul, their very eternal destiny. And Jesus, thank you for helping us. Guide us all from this day forward in every area of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.